This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made it a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Economics is defined as a social science centered on the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services. Understanding the science as it applies to every step of your restaurant can mean the difference between success and failure. Few restaurateurs have an economics degree. Perhaps we all should. But what we do need to do is apply a magnifying glass to your cash as it pertains to those three components, production, distribution, and consumption. Today, we're excited to announce the season five of Opening Soon will be devoted to our most listened to and most response-inducing topics. You guessed it, money. How to get it, how to spend it. In today's pandemic world, how to save it. And depending on your future goals, the most important, how to make it. So our guest today is Jason Goodman. He is the co-founder of Bathhouse in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. They opened their doors in late 2019 to rave reviews from both bathers and diners and were profitable from nearly the outset. Then came COVID. So today we talked to Jason about managing a budget for profitability or even just to keep the doors open at these unpredictable times. Jason, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Jennifer and Alex. Also, I'm Jennifer's brother. I love you so much. <laughs> I love yes. you so much. Okay, it's a family affair today. Um, Jason is my brother. This is his second restaurant. Um, the first one, you guys, um, previous listeners of the show, know a little bit about the story of goods, which we won't delve deeply into today. But um, yeah, so hospitality is in the family and uh, it's a challenging time right now. It is, um, and I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it's also a good time to get back to basics, you know, which Yay. is what we've been focusing on is, hey, all those little side projects, all the stuff you wanted to do, but you didn't have time because you we were so swamped with taking care of your customers. We've been trying to like do that stuff now. And, and um, just think about like, you know, in a year from now, what we, what we have, wish we have done during this time. If that makes sense. So what does that actually like what, what does that actually look like? Um, well, so overall at the bathhouse, let's see. We like um, we did a lot more uh, training, all the stuff that we learned along the way that we were like, oh, we should be doing it this way. We like really put down the practice. We made a bunch of employee handbooks while we were closed that are really detailed and useful. We fixed things that were from the build out that need to be fixed. We opened a whole new restaurant concept, uh, built in an outdoor environment, A to Z, brought a whole new team in. 
you know, it's like um, all the little, also like fleshed out stuff with our website that we that we always want to do but never can get to. All those elusive projects that you just never have time for when you're, you know, a busy place. So we spent some time doing that and like kind of um, trying to simplify things and take all the rough edges off, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, how you invested in like a build out for this outdoor restaurant and like what does like what does that look like for you guys financially because this is basically you know a short-term solution in some ways so walk us through some of like the math behind that decision and how it's working out for you guys yeah i mean so this is like um was an interesting interesting thing so we had a um a restaurant partner before um and we were like somewhat hands-on it was structured um mostly as a management deal so they were they were managing a, a restaurant inside a bathhouse we were managing the bathhouse side they, we were essentially um kind of a, in like loosely a landlord position with them um a little bit closer than that it was a little bit but like that was the foundation of the relationship they have a bunch of other restaurants um and then with covid you know, they had their hands full. We'd only been operating for a few months before COVID together. And it was like, do you guys want to come back? Maybe we should go separate ways. I know you have your hands full with a lot of things going on on your side. So um, we were we were in a position where we were like, well, we need to start a restaurant from scratch. I am not a restaurateur. <laughs> um, uh, I love restaurants. I love being on the dining side of restaurants, especially. Um, I didn't, I'm not an expert in restaurants and I was actually feeling fairly intimidated about it, but as we got started, you know, I started, one of the things I realized is that, um, restaurants have their own unique economics, obviously, and other stuff, but at the same time, they're, they're a business and, you know, the fundamentals of what makes a great business are the same for restaurants as they are for anything else, you know, knowing who you are having a really clear vision that you stick to and can articulate and it's authentic and being able to articulate that vision within the products and outwardly to the world, making great products and treating your customers really well. Like that's true for all businesses and it's same truth for restaurants. Right. So like once we got going, um, it was like, okay, so we're lucky because we have this huge corner and the all you can do right now is what's allowed on the sidewalk and what you can do in the street front in front of your restaurant and your frontage on the street is going to be a factor of how many how many seats you can have is a factor of your street frontage in today's new york city dining world and we happen to have a huge amount of street frontage we weren't like super smart like you know we didn't have a crystal ball knowing that that was going to happen but we, so we're lucky in a sense that we're on the, we're on a corner. We have a really big corner. So we went from having what used to be previously a 36 seat restaurant to the opportunity to build an 80 seat outdoor restaurant. And then it was like, well, if we're going to do that, if we're, if we're gonna, we don't have to do this. So if we're going to do it, let's do it really, really well. Um, so we tried to build um, a really beautiful, a really safe, a really comfortable environment. Um, that would be attractive to diners that was well thought through that was like um, planted with beautiful plants that was on brand with our design aesthetic um, you know and so we did that and so it's uh we made a really cool environment um, we have 80 seats they're all socially distanced all the tables are spaced properly we measure it every day 
We have a beautiful garden outside. We have a bar outside. We have umbrellas for the sun and the rain. We got all new furniture. And then we hired, we went and hired a great team. You know, I brought in, um, we got really lucky with our chef. He's, I'm like in love with this, this chef so much. <laughs> He's a super cool person. He is totally gets the overall vision for the bathhouse and that the restaurant and the bathhouse really click together as a cohesive whole. Um, he's uh, his name's Anthony Sosa. He was at EMP for a while, and then he was at Chez Matant uh, in Greenpoint, and he wanted to do something different. So, you know, he brought in the kitchen team. We brought in a whole new front of the house team. We trained them. We opened, and it's been going really great. So you basically, you, so you opened a whole new concept. Essentially, is what ended up happening for you guys. We opened a whole new concept of a whole new team and a whole new menu and a whole new dining room mm-hmm. in two weeks. In two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a little bit, Jay, about, your, um, about your, your goals and your expectations of what outdoor dining, because what outdoor dining was for you guys. I know that, you know, for a lot of people, it can mean a lot of different things. It can, you know, mean, you know, just sustaining to keep employees employed. It can mean, you know, Obviously, everyone's hope would be that you're actually making money. Um, but for a lot, I think it's sustaining. I think it can be just keeping your brand alive and awareness. What were some of your goals and like, how do you guys feel like you've achieved them so far? Yeah, that's a really good question. We're, we're in a very unique position for that. Um, you know, for, always for us, the restaurant was really to complete the experience of the bathhouse in in general, as opposed to being like our core, our our core business. Right. So, you know, we have all for the the listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with it. We have a a bathhouse in Williamsburg, um, brilliantly called bathhouse. Um, Just so there's no confusion. It is actually a bathhouse. Um, We have pools, we have saunas, we have, um, steam room and we have a whole massage and aesthetics program so we do um performance oriented uh massages we have a skincare program that's based on the kind of turkish mom scrub tradition and um that's essentially the bathhouse we we kind of said can we make a 2020 modern version of a traditional bathhouse update the concept, update the design, update the services and make something really special. And will, will the world embrace that? I'm a big lover of bathhouses. So we did that. And while we were going through that, like that sort of ideation process, it was like, you know, to complete the consumer experience, there needs to be a food and beverage program because you're, it's a sense of placemaking. It's a sense of, of being somewhere. And also, you know, the, the thing that's different about, well, at least what we think is different about a bathhouse than like a spa, quote unquote spa, is culturally, you know, a bathhouse is not a shh, like, like very, um, uh, like sort of precious and quiet experiences. Bathhouses traditionally are a little bit vibrant and community centers and people are hanging out. So being with that, trying to sort of take that traditional bathhouse culture and apply it to our modern 2020 version. We really thought like the dining experience was going to be an important thing that could complete that that customer experience. So the dining for us was always like um, like deeply integrated into the bathhouse, but it was never sort of like the core um, the core driver of of revenues, if that makes sense. 
Um, so it was, it was like, that was the, always the, the purpose was to make the bathhouse experience overall that much richer and to make it that much more of a placemaking sort of community building aspect. So, so the same dynamic applied when we reopened, we wanted to certainly like have a profitable venture with, with the bathhouse and, um, you know, be, be selling more each week than it was costing us to do it. But we also wanted to make sure that it was aligned with the overall consumer experience and that it was like they, those two things live well together. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report that we were operationally profitable on the restaurant side from day one as well. So I was supposed to say from week one. There were some days when we ran a little red, but over each week from the very first week, we were, we were in the black. How did you, so, so that, I mean, and that's pretty rare for what people are reporting, right? So like a lot of people are like, oh, we're barely breaking even. We're just trying not to bleed. So what do you think, like what lessons have you learned that you feel like other people could apply? Was it just, you know, luck or tell us like, was there some sort of formula you used where? It's because I'm so brilliant. (laughs) It's not, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's not because we're so brilliant. It's because we have a lot of seeds. Uh, I think that is really, that's probably the real truth is that, I think there's a couple things. So I walked around the neighborhood in um, mid-July and I looked at what other people had built. There were some, there were some people who did some nice stuff, but a lot of it was like, thrown up kind of shanty town uh like get some plywood or you know there's a lot of stuff made out of pallets and i just uh i just thought wow that's like where we're at right now <laughs> you know what i mean we're like it's it makes sense because you know a restaurant that, could, that has a normal footprint a mid-block footprint where you have 20 feet of frontage and and you can only put you in there six feet apart tables so you can only put two tables out there you know does it make sense to, I mean, does it make sense to capitalize that? Does it make sense to even do that? Like the, just to have, um, you know, the kitchen staff and the server staff for two tables, there's how could you possibly make money doing that? You know? I mean, a lot of people aren't. That's why 1,300 restaurants have already closed. Oh my York. God. It's I know, so, so heartbreaking. Who are we going to be without restaurants? This is New I mean, York City. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's so messed up. But, you know, it's like, it's nothing we can do about that right now besides trying to support the people who are still there. Right. Um, so so for you, us, I, 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 yeah. we, we, we knew that we could be, had the opportunity. We, we knew that we had the opportunity to put uh, enough seats outside that it was worth, it was worth taking the risk. We did. We knew that we knew that like if the market was there in terms of diners, that we had the, um, the seat capacity to be profitable. We just didn't know is is anybody going to come? You know, is the is the market there? Are are people in New York City right now? Uh, did how many people are in New York City right now? Does anybody know? Is it half? Or, nobody knows. There isn't. There isn't. There's not information on it. It's just like it's all like it's just all just walking around the neighborhood, feeling. What does it feel like? You know, where what does it feel like in terms of where people are physically? What does it feel like where people are emotionally right now? So we just said, look, we we don't know. There's there's no way to know the truth. Um, so you're like a little Brooklyn anthropologist, like scouting out people and studying them on the streets. Yeah, and I also so think like the menu and the and the because con- you did a new concept specifically for that. Obviously, I'm sure you guys thought about 
people's willingness to pay, how they sit at the table in a different way now that they're outside or scared of the diner next to them. So like how, how are some of those factors in, into the concept that you guys created? Yeah, there's a lot of thinking. And we tried to play a little bit of three-dimensional chess with it because of, on one hand, you have a unique situation in the first place, which is you have a restaurant that is part of a bathhouse, right? And we know that the bathhouse is about sharing um, and having communal experiences. And also it's a health and wellness-oriented um, experience. So we knew that people uh, would want to come there with their friends. They'd want to, want to share a bunch of plates. I don't want to share to anything with anybody in this time. I'm telling you, I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? Right. How do you do it so that it's like, um, shareable, but that you're not sticking the, your fork that just came out of your mouth back into the share plate. Right. So stuff like that, like thinking about like, Oh, do we, are we putting things on skewers? You can grab a whole skewer, but there's like three skewers on a plate. So everybody can share like, sort of like addressing the menu so that it was like shareable, but in a safe way. Um, also doing stuff like, QR codes. We have no paper menus at all. So when you come to the restaurant, every table has a QR code on it. You scan it with your phone, which is great. We're sa- it's good for the environment. We're saving mm-hmm. tons of paper. We're spending tons of time printing menus and, and throwing them out because we have a hyper seasonal menu. The menu changes weekly, weekly every two weeks. Are some on- of these, like some of the stuff, is this like, per- do you think that would be permanent for you guys? Like you just figured out that it's more cost effective. It's better for the environment. It's less labor intensive to do menus on QR codes. Like post COVID, do you ever see going back to paper menus? Probably I do for the interior experience, like in, in the dining room, it's going to, it's going to feel correct to have a, a paper menu in your hand. I think Why? But like outside, Outside, mm-hmm. it's cool. You know, it's it's like it feels natural. Sit down, scan it, go through it. It's easy to update too. We can update it. I can update it mid-service if I want. I just log on and change the menu. If so I why would you on. ever go back to like? Why would you ever go back to paper then? I don't know. I, I feel like just if it's working. I mean, in our bed. in our beautiful dining room, am I going to stick stickers on our marble tables? And I don't know. There's something. There's something about a, menu, a physical menu that's also like a welcoming experience. Like, sit down. Here's a thing. You know. Yeah. Um, also, just a technical thing. It's we're different than most people are about this, so it's a little bit different. But on the inside, on the in, in the inside dining room, not the outside patio, but the inside dining room, a lot of our customers are sitting down in a bathing suit without their phone. You know, right. They're, right. They're coming, that makes sense. They're coming out of a sauna. And they're wandering in the bathing suit. They've just been on this whole transformational experience downstairs. They had an intense massage. They were in a float tank. They saunaed. And now they wanted to have this moment of like fecundity and uh, of sustenance. And they all have a phone. They don't even really want to think about where their phone is. <laughs> right. So, you know, um, it's also, you know, it's like uh, there's something about I, I've been noticing about like dessert and wine lists. It's almost like I don't really want to put a food menu down, but I want to drop a dessert menu because it's like this little reminder instead of like, oh, dig your phone back out, do the QR thing again, look for it. It's like kind of nice to be like, and now may I offer you something sweet to finish a meal. I kind of like, I want to go drop like a little dessert menu on them, you know? On that note, let's take a, a quick break after dessert. And uh, I want to hear about um, what the plans are for going back inside. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Uh, and we're back. Uh, again, we're talking with Jason Goodman from Bathhouse um, about how uh, they're making it through the pandemic. Um, they're definitely one of the fortunate, successful ones that are, are making it through in a positive way. Um, and, and we've talked a lot about what you guys have done to adapt and and how your your concept is specific to what's going on. How are you guys looking towards a positive indoor future this winter in New York? I mean, this is really, this gets into the heart of the issue and the heart of, of the complication, I think, for, for us and I think for everybody. And that is uncertainty, right? It's like, if we knew, okay, you're gonna you're gonna have the clothes and it's gonna be over. We would we would be like, okay, it's gonna be about to go. Or if we knew you're gonna have you're gonna have 25% seating inside and that's how it's gonna be for the entire winter, we could say, okay, we need to staff down to these levels. It's gonna be tough, but it's the, the choice you have to do. The whole thing right now is that we don't nobody knows. So how do you plan, right? Um, so it's uh, it's complicated. What we are actually doing right now is we are going to put in eight to ten seats inside. We had about um, we had a couple of different configurations. We had about thirty six to forty seats previously. So what we're doing in the immediate, starting on the thirtieth, is we're going to have ten seats inside, which was usually forty, uh, in our dining room that's inside the bathhouse. That's going to be for bathhouse guests. Those guests we're talking about coming upstairs after having a massage in their dining robe or in their bathing suit and wanting to sit down it's going to be chef tasting menu focused so um again we, we have a sort of hyper seasonal new american concept so the menu is really designed to share it's super fresh it's it's changing each week so like the thing to do is the chef's tasting menu anyway it's several courses you get to try kind of everything so we're going to do a, a a, a dinner menu, a, a dinner experience inside um, for September that is for uh, the rest of from September 30th through the rest of October. That is inside is chef tasting for bathhouse guests. Outside the outside dining area where we have 80 seats is for the is for the neighborhood. And then we know it's closing outside, but we don't know when we're going to. I imagine like 50% capacity. So this is where the uncertainty comes in. What's going to happen? Pardon me? Is there a date where they kick you off the street right now? 
October 30th of or October 31st. Okay. They extended a street dining to um, to the end of October. So what we what we know factually right now is that on September 30th you're going to have 25% indoor and and then you have a month where you have that indoor and you have the outdoor. And then after October 30th, I believe the street is, first of all, it's going to be too cold anyway, but I think those permits are, uh, they, they expire on the 30th of October, but then where does it leave you with the inside? Is it going to be a quarter seats all, all season? I mean, how could any restaurant, pay their payroll and food costs with 25% capacity. It's, I don't see how that's viable. So I'm imagining that it's a stepping stone to 50% capacity, but I don't know. The other thing that's in the mix with this is that we have, we have even before we did the street seating in New York City, where you can build the environments in the street, which we did, we also already had a consumer affairs sidewalk seating. So we conceptually could... Right now, we're operating the outside under the new DOT-regulated street seating, but we could also do we – ha- we already have our regular sidewalk permit, so we could um, you know, build a vestibule uh, out there, like a normal outdoor vestibule, and seat that um, post-October 30th. Yeah. But that's 40 grand. I'm assuming that that's probably 25% occupancy as well. Yeah, I, w- I, was, I was looking at the um, – should we do this? Should we not do this based off of 25% the, the indoor occupancy numbers? I don't really know. I mean, it's enclosed. So I imagine to be safe, you would want to follow the guidelines for indoor space. It's a, it's a middle space. There's also ways that we could open up more panels in that to be kind of an indoor outdoor space. Uh, but then there's like heating concerns. It's, there's not a perfect choice right now. And we all have to kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable with uncertainty. But it makes it very hard to plan because like, you know, we're, we put so we started this, we built the whole restaurant, the whole team in two weeks. And we've been building that menu and investing in that menu and investing in that team. We had some turnover. We realized how much we needed to do with our team in terms of like, like service in terms of like onboarding them to the whole bathhouse with the whole vision of the bathhouses and turn. And then the menu is changing all the time. And so it's like, you know, everybody who has a restaurant is listening knows how much work you put into your menu, into your team, and into your dining room, and to like not know, like, are we going to be allowed to keep this? <laughs> you know, so it's it's um we we want to we put so much into our team, we want to keep them, and we want to be able to make that healthy, and we want to keep uh, being here for the community, the neighborhood. Who, I mean, people are coming to the bathhouse, and they're like. Oh my God, I haven't been touched in three months. That massage was like the best thing that ever happened to me. It's like, I feel like we're doing like the Lord's work right now. It's like, it's like spiritual for people, you know, like they're like, they're like coming back into human contact and for the, and getting deep into their body for like the first time in like months. And they're doing it in a way, in a safe way where they trust us, you know, and then they can go upstairs and have this dining experience. It's like, it's important. I feel like we're like, I think we were like, we're helping people and we need to be there for them, but you can't really plan because you have no idea what we're allowed to do. So it's like, what, like, I, and for a, a restaurant that doesn't, that can't be supported by the rest of like a bigger business, like a, like the bathhouse, how could they possibly know? Like, can I make this higher right now? 
Should I make this capital improvement? I want to change the menu, but I need to buy this equipment. Should I do that? Like, I don't know. How, who can you know? Who, who knows? Who could know? Nobody can know. I mean, I feel like in, you know, in conversations with other restaurateurs as well as obviously yourself, that, that there's a general lack of information sharing from our local government also. I think that, that people, that we should be understanding what the options are. I think that there should be, you know, options of what's going to happen based on where, you know, the numbers of, of illnesses lie. I don't, I, I don't see why there needs to be such, um, such a vague idea of what's happening. I was speaking with someone last week who, who talked about how they had friends that had closed their restaurants, not knowing that 25% occupancy would be allowed a week later. Oh my God. Simply weren't talking about it. And it was, you know, from all, all knowledge that we knew was that um, de Blasio was telling people that there wouldn't be indoor dining until next year. So I think, I think there's some transparency that's just not happening with our local government too. That's just like, it's a real, for lack of a better word, it's real fuck for, for restaurants (laughs) right now. It's, it's kind of, it, it just increases that, that, idea that you don't know what to expect where I, where I think there should be some ideas of what to expect, right? 50% will happen if this number is reached. And just, I would, I would love that. That makes sense. It, it could still be an if, right? It could still be, if we maintain this level of invention rate, then this will happen. That's, that's a fair minimum to ask for, right? Like where do we need to be to make that happen? Yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, the thing that I would say to the listeners right now is that you have to you have to make decisions based off of a place uh, if you, if you can of vision and of courage, and not on a place of fear. You just nobody makes good decisions from a place of fear. And I know that it's hard to do that, but we saw this in the spa industry overall. You know, we're, obviously we have a restaurant, but we also think of ourselves as we're part of the spa industry. You know, some we made a choice to open the first day we were allowed to open, which was in phase three when they allowed for massage therapy. We started off with just doing massage therapy, and then we kind of grew from there into some of the other things that we do. Um, and we we did not know what was going to happen, and we were prepared to just completely lose money, um, which thankfully did not happen. Uh, again, we. Now I look around and I see all a lot of other spas have still not opened. That is going to be hard. Every day that goes by that you're that you're not opening, it's going to get harder and harder to open. You lost more of your team. We we lost. We we were so lucky to have maintained most of our team. We spent so much time recruiting and training our amazing team of therapy of massage therapists and of guides who are people at the front desk and our attendants keep the machine running and our estheticians we put we, we recruited so hard and spent so much time training them what we do is so technical and and complicated and we only want to have the absolute best people and like we had some that moved away but we were so lucky that we were able to retain most of them and we like kept in touch with them all really vigorously and we opened and brought and gave them their incomes back as fast as we possibly could knowing that we were taking a big risk, but we wanted to come from a place of, of, of courage. And I feel like the people who, you know, made the more conservative choices, making a choice on fear, often to be fair of necessity, if they just can't afford it, they can't afford it. Right. 
but it, it gets that much harder to come back. The bills, the rents, the past due bills are, are that much bigger. You know, um, the st- your your core staff is less and less retained, more and more are gone, and it's just a lot harder with every day that you stay closed. So it's like we we came to a place and said, well, you know, we're at a fork in the road. We have we have uncertainty on either path. We either can take the path of of courage and go for it, or we can take the path of fear and of the most conservative thing and stay closed. And we took this path and in hindsight, we did the right thing. And the same thing goes with the, what we're doing next to the restaurant. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't know. Even, even if the government was being more transparent, we wouldn't know if we were going to hit those, hit the, hit those metrics or if we're going to see a second wave or what's going to happen. So we all have the, it's, it's, we had to get comfortable in uncomfortability right now. We had to be comfortable in uncertainty and it's it's not a comfortable place to be, but we have to do the best we can there. And we have to move forward with courage and kind of be there for the community, be there for our employees and do the best we can. And and that's that's to me, that's from my perspective, is the ins and outs of it. If you can afford to do it, do it. How if you can find so, a way. How have you been able to I mean, I think that's great advice. It's like it's true, just we're all gonna have to be comfortable being a little uncomfortable with uncertainty for the foreseeable future but like how have you guys afforded to do this have you put in more money have you gone back to investors because your your patio set up 80 seats is amazing but it wasn't cheap to build either <clears throat> it was not cheap to build um we spent tens of thousands of dollars doing it um doing it the right way and then you know and for the build out um furniture Outdoor lighting, outdoor sound system, um, custom carpentry, hiring a team and spending a week of payroll, you know, training before we opened, buying all the opening ingredients, buying all new small wares, the menu needed different equipment, you know, all this stuff. It starts to, I really want to do this. We're making our, our menu is grain free and sugar free. So we're making sugar-free ice cream right now. It's so it's so good, but it's like we're buying equipment. We're buying. We're doing things we want to do. We're moving forward, and it's like um, we put a lot of money into it. Um, but we just had to kind of uh, say, look, here's the opportunity right now. Um, we we were not we're not crazy. Like we we did say, okay, we have this many seats. Is it possible this could be a profitable venture? Right. And once we kind of went through building that little financial model and saying, you know what, if we get reasonable turnout, it will be okay. Then we just, we had to commit. We had to write those checks. How do we do that? We were lucky that, you know, when Bathhouse opened originally, we were kind of an instant success and we had built some cash reserves. So we were sitting on some reserves when we closed. We also qualified for um, some PPP financing. And we um, try to make have most of that uh, flow to uh, you know our payroll to keep our, our team alive. We we kept a, uh, even for the four months that we were completely closed, we kept our management team in place, and um, we tried to move the move the company forward. And then we did two weeks of training before we reopened in, in July. Um, part of that was hey, we have a lot of new stuff to talk about, right? We got to like talk about how we're going to be operating differently during the new COVID era. 
and they wanted to add a new massage, this amazing Thai massage that was not in the treatment before. We had to train all the therapists how to do that. But it was also partially like reacclimating our team to society. A lot of them, right. we've been all over the place. We were all different places spiritually. Some people have been out. Some of our uh, massage therapists were like, I've been doing Instacart. <laughs> some oh of us. Yeah, some of us mm-hmm. had been had literally been like I hadn't left my house in four months, and we were all in different places, and we had all had different feelings about that. Um, so, like getting on the same page, how are we going to do this? Are we going to be safe for us? Are we going to be safe for our customers? Where are we spiritually right now? Are we ready to like bring good energy to people? Yeah, so we we did all this stuff. We spent a lot of time and money doing that, and then we opened. You know, we opened with enough money for the next payroll, and that's it. And we had to we had to to go forward with courage that like the market's going to be there, the customers are going to come. If we do something really great and we treat people really well, they're going to show up for us, and they have. Um, so, so you wow, one I didn't realize it was only one payroll in the bank. I mean that's that's scary. So basically, you took whatever profits you were sitting on, reinvested it in the training and the new and the new outdoor setup and. Dollar and a dream. Hope it works. Know that you yeah. put a good product out. Yeah, I mean, like we were, we were, we were going to be okay if we were losing a little bit of money, breaking even, making a little money. We knew we weren't going to make a lot of money. There's like no way that was going to happen. Um, it's not going to. Ha- it's it's not even possible to happen because we're limiting our capacity by so much. Uh, even if we sell out all of our massages and all of our the day passes we're allowing right now. We're at ten percent of our normal capacity, right? So it's like we're ne- it's like it's but it's gonna it's good it's good for the world it's good for the business to to stay alive and like listen all the things that happen we retained our team we reengage with our audience we're there for the people who need us you know what I mean all that stuff like you know if we were close for those six months there's six months of not learning how to operate in the new environment. Uh, you know, not not reengaging with our customers, not creating those relationships, not showing the random person walking down the street what this, what our restaurant's all about. All those things, even if you're just breaking even, they're important. They're important if you're long term thinking. So it's like we nobody's going to make money right now. That's just you have to understand that. We and we we understand that. No, we're not we're not we're not nobody's going to make a lot of money right now. It's not possible from a function of twenty five percent of your seeds. What you can do right now is think long term and say, I want to keep my customers happy. I want to be there for them. I want to keep my staff involved spiritually, financially. I want them to know that we care about them. And like in six months from now, you're going to see the different the business difference. You're not going to see it today because you're not going to you're going to stay alive today. But you're going to see the, the companies who do that today, I think in six months from now, are going to be in a totally different place than the ones who don't. The ones who don't are either never going to reopen again or they're going to be they're going to be a year behind, right? Because it's that much like we're putting goodwill out into the community and we're taking care of our people. So many good nuggets here, Jason. I love it. <laughs> think, about, think about the future. Be courageous. Be, be comfortable with uncertainty. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us. Well, you know, the, um, the most universally admired human trait 
You want to guess what it is? This is where they pull people and they look for like, what do you appreciate about others? Well, I'm going to cheat because we had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, is this your new favorite one-liner? And you like asked me the same damn question. So I'll let Alex try to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to go with optimism. Tell me. Optimism is close because I think it relates to this, but it's courage. Courage. You know, it's like when you look towards who do you want to be around? Who do you trust as a leader? You know, a lot of times people will guess stuff like honesty. Those are that's an important trait, obviously as well. Authenticity is really important. But if Which you're what really, I said, by the way, both yeah, of those and that you're order, very, you're a very authentic person, so it makes sense. But it's courage, and the opposite is also true. The thing that people cannot stand, cowardness. You know, it doesn't mean that you should be irresponsible. Courage does not mean being irresponsible, but it does mean standing up the challenges. So that's what we have yeah. to do right now. That's what we have to do. Um, all right. Jen, on that. Jen, I have one question before yeah. we wrap up. Um, just out of curiosity, in a short-term mindset, where does all this stuff on the street go on October 31st, Jay? That is a big <laughs> question. We spent so much time making this beautiful Tables, stuff. The chairs, the plants, the barricades. Uh, well, the table fire sale. <laughs> oh my god, you guys! We spent so much money on these plants. They look so beautiful, and now, like, I mean, I planted perennials. You know, they can come back next year. These grasses, we're growing grasses and sweet potatoes. Oh, and, I would uh, love to pick up some of those grasses yeah, for you. Do a sweep on the neighborhood. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, do, can you guys use like two thousand square feet of grasses in your apartment? <laughs> I mean, you have a cool loft, but I mean. We'll no, put that uh, in the show wrap up to uh, contact Jason Goodman should you need some perennial grasses. I might try and store them because I don't, they said that you can, it's also, here's the uncertainty. Does it make, does it make sense to spend 10 grand trucking them and storing them on some lot upstate or something? I don't know. You have five acres, right, Jen? <laughs> we do. We can you store your plants. This is true. We have, uh, yes. Or does it make sense to, um, to uh, toss them. I mean, I can't store them in our bathhouse. You know, there's no place to do that. The tables and chairs I can do, they fold up. We've got like the cool, like classic French folding uh, cafe tables. So they'll still stack flat somewhere and the chairs will stack somewhere. But the uh, the outdoor barriers, I mean, we have like over a hundred feet of barrier that we made that are like 18 inches wide and, and you know, they're long and they're tall. There's, they need to be like in a, oh. uh, Shipping container on some of these. I don't know what we're gonna do. I haven't even I haven't even got <laughs> got there yet. Well, now you're gonna go back and talk to your partners about what the hell are you gonna do with your patio furniture? I know, I'm great, another problem. And then <laughs> report back. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we like this is where we like to shout out any restaurants um, that have opened soon or reopened. Anybody come to mind from from you, Jason? Um. Thinking. You know where I've been going? I don't know if they reopened recently, but St. Anselm has a really cool backyard. Um, and also, I went to uh, Strange Ways, which used to be extra fancy. That place is cool. It's like, um, I think go to Strange Ways and check that out. They have a really cool outdoor, totally covered, but outdoor dining area on their like, side yard. And they have a little backyard too. Big, beautiful bar outside. It used to be extra fancy. It's on the corner of Metropolitan and Roebling. They have a lot of seating. It was very comfortable, very spaced correctly inside. They have a, a, a big, cool menu. It's like, I'm gonna, I don't know if they would describe it this way, but it's like 
Indian New American fusion kind of. Like I had like a pork cheek vindaloo there that was like totally fire. Yeah, you guys should check out. It's cool. Go early, bring the kids. Go late, have drinks. It's fun. Cool. Um, I want to shout out Gravitas in DC, who's a wonderful Tillet customer and supporter, is opening a new restaurant called Baker's Daughter in the coming weeks. So DC friends, check them out. Uh, also, just a little shout out to Tillet. We launched our collab today with, um, it's Tuesday, September 15th, because this is going to be airing a little later, but um, with Sophia Rowe, and it's really like embodies the whole work and life um, uniform that we're, we're so all about. So check that out. 10% of proceeds are going to Edible Schoolyard NYC, which is um, a great organization supporting uh, food and fresh food in, in schools in New York City. So that's our shout outs today. Alex, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Jason, for being with us and sharing the story of Bathhouse. Uh, we'll put a wrap up of the show on tilletnyc.com on the podcast blog. Uh, we usually also send one out to your inbox, so make sure you're on our mailing list. Uh, Jay, how do we find uh, you, Bathhouse, on Instagram, on social? Yeah, we're at a bathhouse. A bathhouse. At a bathhouse. And our website's abathhouse.com. Cool. So get there now for outdoor dining or come next month for tasting inside uh, after your massage. Reminder that this season, as you guessed and we talked about earlier, is all about money. So uh, the most popular topics that we've had listened to over the first four seasons have all been about um, getting investments, how to spend them, um, decoding the P&L. So we'll be going through all those kind of things. So if there are questions that you have, uh, there's answers that you need, then we will do the best to bring them up to our, uh, our guests as we go through the season. Uh, you can DM us uh, with those questions or just with any sort of uh, info you'd like to share at We Are Opening Soon. And you can follow us there or on at Tillet NYC. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.